And so that's where we find ourselves in Genesis 16. We're going to look at a story that if you've been in church for a while, you probably heard the story of Abraham and Ishmael. But what I want to tell you today is that there is a beautiful theme, a beautiful thread of mercy that actually is the overarching story that we're going to look at today in these lives of these people that were actually quite a mess. So it's starting in verse 1. It says this, now Sarai, Sarai would become Sarah, Abram's wife, Abram would become Abraham, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai's wife took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Now, anyone who says that the Bible is boring, okay, there is no soap opera that, that has something over the Bible right now. I mean, we are, we are in a mess. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave's in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Awesome man of faith. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Oh, I love this part. Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that's beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running back from my, I'm running away from my mistress. Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Then the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Then the angel of the Lord also said to her, you're now pregnant and you'll give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave the name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well is called Be'er Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. Let me give you an ex uh, a, a, a really quick summary, a synopsis of what we're going to see. God is a God of mercy. This situation is a mess. People are a mess. And God is merciful. And watch this. God is merciful even though we've been manipulative. Hashtag Sarah. God is merciful even we, when we've done stupid things. Hashtag Abraham. <laughs> Jean Vier, I'm looking at you translating right now. I wonder how you're translating hashtag Sarah in Swahili. <laughs> God 
is merciful to the oppressed. Hashtag Hagar. God is merciful to those born into messes. Hashtag Ishmael. Let's jump in from the beginning. It says this. This is uh, just two things that shouldn't go together. It says, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave. Uh, Let's just start with a really clear, obvious thing today, because what we know is in the history of the world, people have used the Bible to endorse slavery. Uh, The Bible from Genesis to Revelation, when it depicts slavery, it's never good. It's always bad. It's something that people are getting out of. It's something that actually the Apostle Paul challenged a person with a slave to let go. So please know that people use the Bible to distort truth and distort the heart of God, and that's not God's heart. Egypt, it says she had an Egyptian slave. You also gotta know that we talked several weeks ago about don't take disastrous detours. And remember when a famine hit the land, Abraham, instead of waiting on God to tell him what to do, he took a disastrous detour, which was all of a sudden going, well, what makes sense? Well, I'm just gonna go somewhere else. And so he goes into Egypt, and you remember what happened? His wife all of a sudden gets taken by the king as his wife, and it's just like a total mess. But what you might not have known is that he actually picked up a slave there. And this situation is going to come back and bite him in the bum. So, God, though, is so merciful that you're going to watch him work through this total mess. He's going to actually turn this mess into beauty. So she said to Abraham, this is Sarai, who doesn't have a child, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So let me just give you a really important point today. Uh, When you start judging God, when you start accusing God, it leads to impaired vision. And it has you do things that are stupid. So remember this, God is good. He's always good, and he's working on your behalf. Sometimes it just takes longer than we want. Now, let me say that again. All the time, it takes longer than we want. So the problem is, is that God gave given Abraham and Sarai a promise. He said, offspring will come from, from you, from your body. They will come, but it didn't happen. And it said actually for 10 years, it hadn't happened. The promise had taken 10 years. Can I tell you that God is the God of 10 years? God's a God of 15 years. God's a God of 20 years. God is a God of waiting. And so God will give you a promise, but then you have to wait. Do you know that God spoke to David as a teenager, you're gonna be king of the land. Do you know that it took 22 years until that promise was fulfilled? Do you know God spoke to Moses, you're gonna deliver the people. Do you know how long it took? It took 40 years. Do you know that God spoke that, that he was gonna give Abraham and Sarah a child? Do you know how long Sarah had to wait? 25 years. Same happened with Rebecca. She had to wait 20 years. God is the God of waiting. Why? Because he's working on us in the waiting. I just had something happen this week 
right? A, a promise that God had spoken to me when I was 22. I've been believing for it. It happened this week. I'm 43. No, I'm 45. I didn't, I didn't do well in math. That's why I'm a pastor. So Sarai had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. Here's the problem, is when things don't happen, when they want, we give in to fear. Okay? Fear is what drove Abraham into Egypt. Fear is what Sarai all of a sudden, she starts doing something that she should have never done. Can I just tell you that you're going to have to deal with fear? You had to deal with fear when the, the COVID pandemic happened. You had to deal with fear when all the racial pain started bubbling up in our nation. You had to deal with fear when all the political unrest, and I, I say started. I mean, these things have been going on, but they, they were turned up. The dial was turned up. And now we're the threat of, of war and even nuclear war, and people are freaking out. And let me tell you, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And when you start responding out of fear, it's when you do dumb things. So there's two things that happen when you give into a spirit of fear. Number one, you, you tend to manipulate things. You tend to manipulate people. You emotionally manipulate people. We see that with Sarah. She started uh, manipulating. She's like, God didn't do this, so you need to go do this, husband. Man, I see this in marriages all the time. We're not getting what we want, so we manipulate our spouse into acting to bring about something that only God can bring about. Or we use people. We start using, you give in to fear and you start using people instead of blessing people. As a Christian, you're never meant to use people. But we start using people. I mean, this goes back to Genesis. I, I don't have this, um, in, in, in the screen, if you'll just turn with me in your Bible apps, your Bibles to Genesis 3.16, I want you to see this because I want you to see this, this tempta temptation that's common to women and men. When the fall happened, there's this curse that comes on people, right? And it's the, the work of, of your hands. There's gonna be uh, thorns on the ground. But then there's even a, a curse in, in the way that men and women treat each other. Genesis 3.16, it says this of Eve, your desire will be for your husband, okay? And that word is tushkwa in, in Hebrew, which actually means you're craving. It's, it's this, this unrighteous longing, but it actually means to stretch over. And so a, a, a woman's, a uh, tendency in, in, in marriage, if you give into fear, if you give into your flesh, you'll emotionally manipulate a situation. All of you are like, oh, you better not go there. Don't worry, I'm going to get the men in a second, okay? <clears throat> because then the next phrase says this, and he will lord it over you. So uh, a woman is tempted, now I'm not saying it doesn't happen to men too, but to emotionally manipulate a situation, and a man is tempted to use brute force and strength to take, take charge of a situation, and God's saying, no, will you trust in me? Will you wait on me? And so I see more marriages, I see more relationships in conflict, I see more friendships broken because of these responses in our flesh when we give in to a spirit 
of fear. And so you see that in the situation. Sar- Sarai, she's like, I'm not having kids. And, and, and this is something we got to have. So husband, you do this. You go do this. You go sleep with this younger woman. And the husband's like, okay. I mean, he's like, you are 80, Sarah. Um, and so the man then uses his strength to take over the situation and, and to do something physically. So you're seeing how this is happening. And so what happens? So one sin leads to another. One bad situation leads to another. Here, here's the thing. We get a promise from God, but then we're like, well, it's not happening, so I guess I got to go do something. I see this all the time, right? People out of their fear and out of, I'm going to help God out, make really bad decisions. Well, I, I, I have this promise that God's going to give me a home, but, but it, it, it's way too expensive here. So then you end up paying way more than, than, than you could even afford. Or you're like, hey, I, I can't make it happen, so I'm just going to move to another state to get a home. And God's like, no, I've called you here, okay? Or, or you're, you're like, I, God's given me a promise to give me a job, and, but, and then you end up saying, but it didn't happen, so you end up taking a job that he never wanted you in, that you knew he didn't, but you're like, well, I just got to compromise. Or you're like, God's promised me a spouse, but I'm going to help him out, and so a Christian's on Tinder looking at some person that's out of control, but you're like, buddy, promise me, also, I'm just going to, can I just tell you, when you have a mixture in your life, you mix the world's ways and God's ways, what is the result is messes. We don't bring about God's fruit by mixing our actions with worldly fear and worldly strength and worldly manipulation and worldly using people. So I see Christians making these mistakes all the time. Why? Because we're not willing to live by faith instead of fear. We're, we're, we're not willing to wait on the Lord. And so that's what's happening in this situation. And you're going, oh, no, this is bad. No, I want to tell you the amazing end of the story is God is merciful to people in messes. And actually, let me tell you, God's even merciful to people who put themselves in messes. When she knew she was pregnant, so Abraham goes to her, actually takes her, sleeps with her. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Guys, this is, this is a soap opera. This is a love triangle and a pregnancy and a jealous spouse and abuse and a woman running away right? This is just awful, awful. But I, I, I love this because God, God is going to jump in to this mess. Uh, these are the, these are like, this, this story is like a pastor's worst nightmare, right? Someone sits down, there's a love triangle, there's a, there's a manipulation and a mess. I remember one time I, I, I you know, I was meeting with Kendall and he goes, let me tell you what I've learned. I've been studying the Old Testament. 
He goes, this is what I, I learned. So I'm expecting this powerful revelation because Kendall's prophetic and he always has these crazy things. He goes, here's what I've learned from the Old Testament. People will sin. It's like people will sin. And God is merciful to people in their sin. And I just need to tell you this today because some of you that are listening to me today have sinned. Actually, all of you. <laughs> all of you have sinned. You're all sinners. Uh, welcome to church. Uh, me too. Um, and, but, but God, your, your sin is not scaring God away. And, and, and hear me very carefully. I'm, I'm not giving license to sin. I'm not saying now go sin more. I'm not saying that at all, but what I'm doing is I'm breaking shame off your back and from over your head for you to know that God is bigger than your sin and God meets people in their sin and God takes people in the midst of their sin and brings about his purposes. And so watch this, because this is the crazy thing, is this story has been about Abram, and you know that Abram becomes Abraham, and you know that he's a Jewish guy, and he becomes the chosen people. But this is how merciful God is, that he takes that story and says, now we're gonna go and we're gonna focus in on Hagar. We're gonna focus in, like it's one thing if a celebrity has problems. Right? It's going to be on the news. It's going to be on the newspapers. We're going to see it on TV shows. And man, if something bad happens to a celebrity, man, they got kidnapped, they got abused, everyone would be in an uproar. But what about a nobody? What about someone who's not a chosen people? She's not from the chosen, right? And, and, and let's just talk about Hagar for a second because Hagar, Hagar wasn't, a chosen Jewish people. She's an a, Egyptian, and, and, and so she's from the, the wrong country, and, 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 and then she's a woman, and back in these days, men had all the value, women didn't have any, and then she's not just a woman, she's a slave. And God says this, I'm gonna stop the whole Bible and focus it all on this person because I'm the God of mercy. And so you might think, Man, I was born in the wrong place. You might think, I've never known my father or my mother. I was a mistake. I'm, I, I was born, I've always felt like I'm the wrong ethnicity. I never had enough money. I, I was from the wrong part of town or I was from the wrong town. I was the wrong everything. And God says, no, I'm stopping everything to focus on you because I'm the God of mercy. Oh, watch this story unfold, guys. This is just amazing. We're gonna change to the amplified version of the Bible because I didn't think the sermon was long enough. <laughs> then Sarai said to Abram, may the responsibility for the wrongdoing to me by the arrogant behavior of Hagar be upon you. So here, here's the thing, sometimes we think, well, God will focus in on, on someone that no one knows from the wrong background and the poor and oppressed if they're perfectly sweet. You know, just if they're tender and they're, they're kind. No, God focuses in on Hagar when she was arrogant and she despised. She, she responded horribly in this situation. But watch what happens. I gave my maid into your arms and when she realized that she had conceived I was despised 
and looked on with disrespect. May the Lord judge who has done right between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, look, your maid is entirely in your hands and subject to your authority. Do as you please with her. So Sarai treated her harshly and humiliated her. And Hagar fled from her. But the angel of the Lord found her. Listen to this one more time. But the angel of the Lord found her. He is the God who finds you in your pain. He's the God who finds you in your abuse. He's the God who finds you when you've been mistreated. He's the God who finds you in your addiction. He is the God who can find you. He found you. He's looking at you today. Some of you think, man, I'm not seen by God. That's wrong. He is the God of mercy who sees you. And so Hagar, this this slave who's running away, The angel of the Lord. The whole story stops about Abraham, the man of God, and he runs after the angel of the Lord, shows up for this broken woman who's not even responding well. I love this. What happens? But the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness or in the desert on the road to Egypt by the way of Shur. Now, I, just, I need you to, to really keep your mind engaged because I'm going 301 for a few minutes, or 401, right? 101 is the entry-level college classes, 401. We might even go a little graduate school. <clears throat> Here's the problem. When we get hurt, we, we often isolate ourselves. So what happens? Hagar gets hurt, and so she runs. Can I just tell you the tendency in you when you're hurt is to run into isolation. Your tendency is gonna be to run away from the people of God. Abraham, he's now created the people of God. God's done it through him, but they're not perfect. Can I just tell you, you will be hurt by people in the church. They're gonna say dumb things. Why? Because they're people. They're gonna look at you with a bad look. They might not even be looking at you with a bad look. They just, the toffee was too hot. But you're gonna think, that person doesn't like me. No, they, they, they might like you, they just need to go to the bathroom. And, and they're having to wait in line. But here's the thing, you, you are gonna get hurt and the tendency is to isolate ourselves. So what, what happens is Hagar is running back to Egypt. What's Egypt? Egypt, prophetically in scripture, is the land of captivity. It's the land of slavery. So not only do we isolate ourselves, but then we run to captivity when we're hurt. Well, I'm just gonna medicate myself with this marijuana. I'm gonna medicate myself with this alcohol. I'm gonna medicate myself with, with overindulging in, in, in drugs, in pornography, in, in sex, in all these things. This is what we do. We get hurt, we run away from the people of God, and then we run towards captivity, and then we're exactly where the enemy wants us. But God, there's some people that need to know, but God, but the angel of the Lord is coming to you today and he's giving you a chance. He's saying, don't, don't run. Don't isolate yourself. Don't go back to slavery. Don't go back to Egypt. It actually wasn't good. It's not where you were supposed to come from. I know things are hard. I know even how you got here. You see, most people come into the body of Christ. Most people come into church. Most people come to Jesus out of pain, Right? 
Hagar, the only reason she's with the people of God, it's, it's, it's out of pain. It was a messy situation. But now she's running back. She's running back to her old life. Can I just say, if you're thinking about running back to your old life, if you're online and thinking about running to your old life, don't do it because that's exactly what the devil wants to do to destroy you. <clears throat> so the angel of the Lord, he says this, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where did you come from and where are you going? You got to remember, you got to think of where you came from. Like, before you just run away, remember what your life was like before Jesus. Was it really working for you? Was it really helping? Were you really fulfilled? He says, remember where you came from. And he says, and where are you going? He's like, hey, look, stop. Actually, where does this life lead? Before you're hurting and you're running just to the next codependent relationship, where are you going? Like, is this really where you want to go? Before you're just going back to the bottle, before you're going to pornography to soothe your pain, before you're just overindulging in entertainment, before you're going and, and you're actually cheating on, uh, on money and, and, and things like that, just where are you going? You got to stop and go, where, is this really going to lead me to the right place? Do I really want to go back to Egypt? Do I really want, is that really going to help me? And she said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Uh, can I just tell you that God's saying, don't run away, run to me. Don't run away, run to me. Now, and, and here's what I'm not saying. Now, what I'm not saying is this. If you're in an abusive situation, I'm not telling you to go back to it. No, I'm, I'm not telling you that. If, if you're in a situation of harm, I'm not telling you to go back. That is not God's heart. God is not, his heart is not for you to be abused, molested, taken uh, advantage of. That's not his heart. I'm speaking prophetically that God's saying, though, don't run away. Don't run back into the world. Don't run back to Egypt. Run to me. Come with me. And now watch what he says next. This is, this is really crazy. The angel of the Lord said, go back to your mistress and submit humbly to her authority. He's actually saying this. Um, hey, Hagar, I'm finding you. I mean, she's, ha she's having the blessing of getting met by the angel of the Lord. But he goes, you know what? You gotta take responsibility for your sin. It's time to stop despising her. It's time to stop attacking her. And it's time to repent. And that's hard. That's hard when you've been abused to actually say, I forgive you. It's hard when you've been mistreated. It's hard when you've been betrayed. It's hard when people have turned against you to actually let it go, but God's saying it's time to let it go, people, so you don't carry around poison inside of you, right? Because here's the problem. We get mistreated, but the enemy wins when we just stay judgmental and we stay unforgiving and we stay with hatred in our hearts. And so God's saying, actually turn around and let that go so you can be free. And he's saying this, he's saying, go back to the people of God. I know it's not perfect. I, I, I know that things have been said. I know that, 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 that it wasn't easy, but you go back to the people of God because I actually want to bless you. I actually want you to grow up in community. I want your kids to grow up in community. I want Ishmael to have a father, right? So, so Hagar, this is verse 15, gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram named his son to whom Hagar gave birth, Ishmael, which means God 
tears. Now, I could preach so many different things about Ishmael and, 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 and the different complications and even complications in our world in the Middle East with, with uh, Isaac and Ishmael, but I do want you to see God's heart for the broken and God's heart for people even born into a mess that God says, I hear. And you're saying, God hears? Like, I wasn't even seeing Hagar even praying a prayer. No, she wasn't. She was just hurting. You know what God heard? God heard her pain. God heard the pain in her heart. Can I tell you, God hears your pain, your disappointment, your miscarriage, women. God heard your pain. You might not have even been responding right with faith and, and, and love, and God's saying, I hear you, daughter. You that are going through a divorce right now, God hears your pain. You that were, were abused, God hears your pain. You that are in financial crisis, God hears your pain. He is the God who hears. And if you'll come back and turn to him, he says, I'll actually bring something great out of it. I'll actually meet you in it, and I'll bring something great out of it. And he said, even from Ishmael, I'll make him a great nation, someone who was born out of a mess, out of slavery, with the wrong person. It never should have happened. And God's saying, I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna make you a great, a great nation. That's what Gerard's story is, right? That's Gerard's story. God takes people who, who were born into a mess and he says, I see you, I hear you, and I have a plan for you to make you into something great. God is rich in mercy. God is rich. Can you just say rich in mercy? God's not just merciful. He's rich in mercy. Have you ever known a, a rich person? Um, my, I, I, I had a rich grandmother growing up. Um, it, it's a blessing when, when you know a great rich person. And my, my rich grandmother took me to, to two different trips in Europe, traveling with her, just me and her. Um, and that's pretty cool, because when you're with a, a, a rich person, you're not worried about where you're gonna stay. Like, we stayed in some great places. And, and she was always like, Robert, would you like some more food? I have never been so full in my life. I remember, you know, I was used to like, a, a dinner where you had a plate of pasta. So I remember we were in Italy and they brought me a piece of po plate of pasta and I knew my grandmother was rich so I just kept asking for more. I didn't know it was just the appetizer. So I had five plates of the appetizer then they brought the next course. And I didn't want to offend anyone so I just kept eating, right? I was hurting for a day. I was in pain because of her richness. But, but it, it, she wasn't just rich in generosity towards me, she was rich in mercy, and my grandmother had a, a, a beautiful, a beautiful big house, and she had a big entry hall, and and it didn't have a lot of furniture. So what what uh, teenage boys like to do in rooms with a lot of not a lot of furniture is they like to have a ball game in those uh, rooms, and so me and my teenage cousin were were uh, throwing a ball in the entrance hall, and. Grandmother had, above her big front door, had this beautiful tempered glass, uh, you know, original beautiful thingy. And um, 
And so we're playing ball, so I go back and I throw it and it bounces off my, my cousin's hands and it slams into the glass and shatters the glass. Then it bounces off and hits a candelabra, an antique candelabra, and breaks the candelabra. And we're like, oh, oh my gosh. And so, of course, my cousin's like, you need to go talk to grandma. And uh, we actually didn't call her grandma, we called her grandmother. And so I went, I went to go talk to grandmother and she walks in and she looks and she goes, oh, well, that's a shame. Well, that's okay. Just, I don't think this is the best place to play sports. And we're like, that's it? She's like, go have fun. That's it? She was rich in mercy to me. Now that was 30 years ago, and now my parents have that house, and that window has still never been fixed. It's not because she didn't have money. I think God kept that window unfixed to remind me of what it's like to be rich in mercy. Every time I walk through that door, I realize my life is a testimony of mercy. It affects every person that comes in. God is merciful to us. And we want to be merciful to other people. I, I just wrote down a few ways. How can we be merciful? How can we show mercy to people? You might want to write some of these down. I don't have them on the screen, but um, here's a way to show mercy. Say, I forgive you. Actually tell people, I forgive you. That's what grandmother would say to me. She'd say, I forgive you. And then the next thing is don't bring back up what that person did, right? Sometimes we as parents, we're like, I forgive you. But do you remember last week when you did this? Or two weeks, and it's not just parents, kids, it's spouses to each other, right? We keep reminding people what we forgave them of. That's not merciful. We forgive and we don't bring it up again. Here's another way to be merciful. Don't talk bad about people. Don't talk bad about people. Someone sins, it's not your job to be the broadcaster of that sin. There's news stations for that. They're doing a good job. You don't need to spread that. What if we decided as the people of God to be merciful with our speech? I'm not saying don't call wrong, wrong. I mean, you, I, we need to confront people in their sin, but then say, I forgive you, and then don't bring it up again. Um, here's another way to be merciful. Give people money. All our college students are like, yes, Lord. <laughs> I am in the right, I'm in the right church. Um, no, college students, you give people money. Um, and everyone else, don't know. All the parents were like, yeah. And you lead out, parents. And, 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 I, and, and if you're poor, give people money. Um, here, here. Here's, here's why, because it reflects the generous heart of God. Here's why, because you can't outgive God. You give, it'll be given back to you even more so. But I can't tell you how much, how much it blesses people. You hand someone a $10 bill, go get yourself a cup of coffee. $10, it ministers to people's hearts, right? Uh, and someone says, man, I'm hurting, I can't afford my rent. And, and instead of just saying, oh, I'm so sorry, just, hey, Here's 20 bucks. I know I can't pay your rent, but this is all I have. I want to tell you, you're going to touch people deeply. They're going to receive the mercy from you and mercy from God. 
I can't tell you what it means when someone hands you $50 and says, hey, go get a dinner. We want, I want this church to be so merciful with our money, right? And, and, and even if you just have $2, give $2 away and just watch what it does in extending mercy to people's hearts. Uh, here's another thing, value people over things. That's how my grandmother was. She, I, I, I'd watch people break. She was wealthy. She'd have these beautiful glasses. People would drop them. She'd go, oh, whoops. That's what she'd say, whoops. And then she'd keep, keep going. And what did that speak? It meant you're more important than this thing. People are more important than property. You want to affirm your kids, parents, let them know they're more important. Now, I'm not saying they can disrespect and be, you know, playing cowboy on the coffee table. That's not what I'm saying, right? But what I am saying is that people are more important than your vehicle. And people are more important than your, than your property. Here's another thing. Call people when they're hurting. Call them. If someone's hurting around you, call them. We, so oftentimes, we shy away from it. Call them, and, but, but here's what to do. Let me just teach you what to do. Call them and say, I'm so sorry, and I'm praying for you. And if there's anything I could do, I'd love to do it. But you don't have to preach to them. Actually, please don't preach to them. I'll preach to them. That's my job, okay? You call them and tell them you're sorry, tell them you love them, tell them you'll pray for them. You don't need to call them and give them a lecture, just call them. And here's another thing. Uh, Here's how to show mercy, listen to people. Like actually listen. Have you ever had someone, someone comes up and says, how are you doing? You're like, oh man, I'm not doing good. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, I was just at the football game. And, da, da, da. and you're like, oh man, I just told you how I was doing and you didn't, you, you didn't even listen. No, actually listen to people. And listen with your face. Like I'm not like, I'm not insulting you. I'm saying like your actual, your countenance. Let them see compassion in your countenance. Right, and if you're like, man, I, I don't have a, a, a kind, compassionate face, then practice. I'm serious, go in front of the mirror. I had a guy who was like, man, every time I look at people, I, they think I'm scowling at them. I said, well, then lay hands on your face and pray for it and go practice. Right, people are saying something, go like this. Right, give them a, right, just practice. Listen with your eyes. Listen, let, 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 it, let it touch your emotions. Ask God to soften your heart. You will extend mercy. You'll be a minister of mercy. This world needs mercy. And you, church, are called to be those people. Open up your home. Open up your home as a place of rest and refreshment. You're like, my home's not big enough. No, it, it doesn't matter how. I've been in the greatest homes and I've been cold in them. And I've been to the smallest, I've been to dirt huts and felt the warmth of God there. It doesn't matter how big your home is. You said, but I don't have food to go. Just cook some ramen, right? It, it's when you actually care for people. You just get up and give them a cup of cold water. Just that right there brings refreshment. You don't have to have a big home. You don't have to have a lot of food. But minister to people with your home. Let's do what we can, church. Let's determine to create a culture of mercy in your home, in your work, in your friendship circle. I've been so blessed after coming back from Moldova, being in this poor country, the poorest country in all of Europe to hear. And, I, and I've been in, I, I, I went, we did a life group in, in one apartment 
And everyone was talking about how big this apartment was. And it was probably 800 square feet. And they were like, this is the biggest apartment of, of, of anyone in our church. And you know what? The Moldovans are taking in Ukrainians right now to live with them. They're being agents of mercy. And you know what it's going to do? The Christian Moldovans are taking in Ukrainians. It's going to create an even greater revival among Ukrainians. Because mercy... And, and, and when we step out in mercy, that's when miracles follow. The greatest times of miracles I've seen is when we've run to crises to provide mercy, but then God accompanies us with his power and pours out miracles. You want to see miracles? Run to the place that needs mercy. Look at this, Genesis 16, 13. I'm coming to the end. So Hagar, this woman that was mistreated, this woman that was a slave, this woman who was used, she was met by the Lord, and this is what she says. She gave this name to the Lord. She gave this name to the Lord. Talk about something that's really cool to be known for. She gave a name to the Lord. Now, I don't know why some people suffer more than others. Like, there's some people in this tent that you're like, I have suffered. You look at someone else's life and you're like, I don't get it. Why have I suffered so much more? Why was I born without parents? Why was I born in poverty? So many of our African community, man, they saw their friends and their family murdered. They, they, they walked. Jean Vier, who's translating right there, he had to walk. His mother said, leave. His mother, who's a part of our church, said, just leave me behind, son, because they had to walk like 40 miles. And his feet were, her feet were swelling. Why do some people suffer so much? more than others. I don't know, but this is what I do know, is that Hagar, who suffered so greatly, actually got to have a face-to-face -face encounter with the Lord, and she actually had a revelation of him that no one else in the world had had up to that point. And often to the ones who suffer greatest are the ones who have the greatest encounter with the Lord, and there's no greater gift I am so sorry for those of you that have suffered. I, I, I've suffered, but I know that I, to, to some of you, in comparison, I've, I've not suffered at all. But let me just tell you that God is the God who meets us in our suffering. And so for you that are going through divorce right now, God wants to meet you in a special way. In a, in, in a way that you might not have ever met him before. For you that are in financial dire straits right now, God wants to meet you in a special way. For those of the, you that are being persecuted in your workplace, there's a special encounter with God. For those of you that are being afflicted and, you, and you're dealing with, with like uh, uh, depression and, and God saying, child, I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna find you and I wanna meet with you and you're gonna know me in a greater way than you ever thought possible. Why? Not because you're so great, but because I'm the God of mercy. She says this, you are the God who sees me. It's not because she was so perfect. It's not because she came from the chosen people. It's not because she had the best family life. It's not because she was even responding right. But God is a God of mercy. And so he saw her in her pain. Let me break off any lie that's going off in your mind right now. God sees you. You that have been in crazy sin, God sees you. You that has just lost a relationship, God sees you. You that just had a miscarriage, 
God sees you. You who haven't been able to find a job, God sees you. You who have not been able to get married, God sees you. You who just got divorced, God sees you. You who are struggling in your body, God sees you. God is the God who sees you. Why don't we stand up?